If you have a Bible, I invite you to power it on or turn them the one in your book rack to Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 9, as we kick off a two-week teaching series called the 1014 Project. It comes from Romans 1014. Now, I don't know what the greatest or the largest project you have ever done before is. If you could think about that, great work or task that you've done, a, a mission, if you will, that you've had to try and accomplish uh, you know, I was thinking last night about Pastor Luke, and he's in the middle of this, renovating the Northwest location facility, and I know it's been an exhausting 10 months, and just like, man, this project's taking everything from me. When, when you are invested in a project, you go all in when you really care about it. You know, I was thinking about this. When I was in seminary, I took a class, uh, Systematic 3, I Know You Care, and I had to write a paper on heaven. And I just thought, this is going to be the coolest thing ever. This is why I came to seminary. I want to learn more about heaven. So I'm studying the Bible, church history, theology, all this stuff about what people believe about heaven. And I had to turn in a 10-page paper. And at the end of the, uh, writing the 10 pages, I was ready to turn it in on time. And I read in the syllabus that if I turned it in late, I would be docked a, half of, excuse me, a third of a letter grade for every week it was late. Does that make sense? So I thought, well, if I turn it in a week late, I'll get, I could still get an A minus instead of an A. So I decided, you know, I came from seminary to learn, and I'm just enjoying this so much. When you get invested in a project, you'll give everything. You just start enjoying it, and you invest your life in it. I said, I'm enjoying this so much. I'm just going to keep studying it. So I took three extra weeks. I wrote a 30-page paper on heaven. Teachers in the room, aren't you thankful for students like me? have to read a paper that long. And I turned it in three weeks late to the teacher. I thought, oh, you know, well, I can still get a B, right? Third of a letter grade. That makes sense. He says, um, Josh, you're a moron. You didn't read the syllabus correctly. It says you lose a third of your entire grade, meaning you go to 66% and then 33% out of 100. And after three weeks, what can you get? Zero. <laughs> and the paper was worth a third of your grade for the entire semester. Now, obviously, I was frustrated, but you know what? I know more about heaven than anyone in the room today. <laughs> that may or may not be true, but I did learn a ton because of it. Because I was invested. I cared about the project. Now, the good news was the professor felt bad. And at the end of the semester, he said, I'll take it into consideration. He gave me a B plus for the course, baby. Yeah, thank you. And uh, I just want to share with you today what I think one of the greatest projects you could ever invest your life into. Greatest mission tasks that as a Christian, if you're here today, you consider yourself a Christian, or you're attending online, the greatest project or mission that you could be called to, it's to, to tell people about the good news that we believe as Christians. Now, I'll stop there for just a second. I don't know when, like, the good news of Jesus became the bad news for our society, and yet, in our culture, that's often how it's thought of, because we have, as Christians, have often done this not out of love, and we're going to talk about that today. And so if you are here and you are not a Christian, you're atheist or agnostic, you're attending live online from different parts of the world, uh, we're glad that you're here. Could you put your hands together? Welcome those who are attending live online right now. Again, I already did that. But just want to let you know that uh, I believe God came in the form of, of Jesus, God incarnate, the only son, Father, and gave his life so that every single person could know him and draw near to him. But not every single person will. Will they? And that's kind of what we want to talk about today, that it's actually good news for you in the room, 
If you felt like your hair might light on fire walking through the space at a church, again, we started this church for people just like you. And I just want to share the good news of Jesus for you and to the Christian in the room of what that means for our life, the great 1014 project over the next two weeks that we're calling you to live out. You ready to study God's word together, church? Well, come on now. It says this in Romans 10, verse 9. This is always a crazy service. It says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and are a good person and well-respected in society, you will be saved. Oh, I added that in, right? Like it just says, if you believe in your heart, not your physical, you know, heart, it's talking about in, in your inner being, if you truly believe this and you confess it with your lips, you will be saved. Now, a little background. This is the Apostle Paul writing. Well, the Apostle Paul didn't used to be the Apostle Paul. He used to be Saul, who was a religious terrorist overseeing the killing of Christians. No one farther from God than Saul. He has one authentic encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. And encountering Jesus, not the condemnation of the, the, the religious zealots, and encountering Jesus so transformed his life. He goes on to write much of the New Testament we have today and start churches all over the Roman Empire. It's why we say no one's too far from God to experience life change through Jesus. That's why we say that uh, anybody could truly be transformed by the gospel and the good news of Jesus. And that no matter where you're at spiritually today, I believe what we're sharing is for you. And so he becomes, though, this guy that writes these letters, and he writes this letter to the church in Rome. They're living in the Roman Empire, so Rome is kind of the epicenter of culture and society. And he's writing to them, and he's telling them in Romans chapter 9 that if you truly believe this, even you could be saved. Look how far he takes it in the verses 10 through 13. It says, For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord over all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now we know throughout the New Testament, not everyone will call on the name of the Lord and not everyone will be saved. That you can see in our culture and society today, if you spend most of your life doing this to God, creating barriers, keeping him out of your life, rejecting his good news for you at the end of our lives, he will give us what we desire. And we will talk a little bit about that today. The place we used to describe where you're forever separated from the love of God is given the word hell because the Greek word Gehenna. It was the place outside of Jerusalem where they burned the refuse. And they said it's kind of like, you know what the Valley of Hinnom is, Gehenna, the hell, what that's like. That's what hell eternally is going to be like. And I don't share that with you to scare anybody in the room or guilt anybody or turn and burn this morning. None of that kind of message. But I share it with you because I want you to know the depth of God's love for you. He wants everyone to turn to him, but not everyone will. Yeah, come on now. See, it goes on then in verse 14, and this is really where the rubber meets the road for us as far as the 10:14 project. We all track in Romans 10:14. It says, how then can they all call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Let's clarify this just for a second, because we all know that Paul wrote this letter 
to the church in Rome, to all the Christians, but verse 14 was only for the lead pastor who would preach on a stage on the weekend. No. If anyone in here considers yourself a Christian, Romans 10, 14 says, and how can they hear without someone preaching? Literally, the Greek word, it just means to share, proclaim the good news of Jesus to people. I want to talk about that. What would that look like? How can they hear it if we don't actually share it with them? Can I pause for just a second? You know, I kind of hesitate to share this because I don't want you to think this wasn't planned. But a couple of weeks ago, I wasn't actually supposed to preach this weekend. We were doing this two-week teaching series, 1014. And most of our teaching team, we had a bit of a disagreement. This doesn't always happen, but that's a fun thing about Christians getting together, right? We had a bit of a disagreement, and uh, most of the team uh, loves what we're going to do next weekend. So don't miss next weekend. It's going to be better than this weekend. But they believe that most of us, as Christians, don't share the good news of Jesus with people because we don't know how. We don't have the tools. We haven't been properly equipped. So next week, it's all going to be the how-to and to give you some tools in your tool belt to equip you to be able to talk about your faith and live out the 1014 Project with us. But can I be honest with you? I actually disagree with them. I think that most of us don't share our faith. Can I be honest? No guilt trips or shame. I think most of us don't share our faith because we don't really care. Let me explain what I mean. Like if, if you really, if you, you're here and you're a Christian, if you really believe that you have experienced a life with God and will live eternally in heaven with him because you have received his forgiveness for your life, because we believe that he was crucified as an atoning sacrifice for any mistake we've done so that we don't have to live this life in guilt and shame any longer, that we could be made right with a perfect God. We believe that on the third day he rose from the grave, overcoming death itself, having victory over death so that anybody in the room can live eternally in heaven with God. And that because of that, he has defeated the enemy, the Hasatan, the adversary, Satan, so that we could be made right with the perfect God in our life. And we won't be perfect this side of heaven, but we can experience God at work in our life. And that if we reject that message, we'll be forever separated in the place I described earlier. Do you really believe that? Because let me share with you. Like, if we really believe that, I don't care if I'm properly equipped or not. I'm going to figure out how to tell the people I love that message. I may not be good at it yet, but I would do anything I could to have him hear that. My, one of my atheist friends that I've had for two decades, he will often, he's told me in the past, if you really believe the things you believe, Josh, you better do everything you can to win me over to that. And that has always just sat with me. How will they know if we don't tell them? Verse 15 then. I love this verse, and we're going to talk a little bit about this. And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So I want to share with you today that you should invest your life in being the feet that bring the good news of Jesus. How beautiful are the feet that bring good news. Will you pray with me? God, as we reflect on Romans 10, 9 through 15 there. Help us to hear it as good news today for wherever we're at in life. May it transform us. May we believe and receive it fully. We acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit in this room right now, God. I know that you have been speaking to us long before we walked in here. May we hear you clearly this morning through your word. 
We love you, Jesus, and we give you this time. We pray this in your name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. One of the biggest problems I have with this passage is verse 15. It says, how beautiful are the feet that bring good news. Here's the problem. I, this may be just me. You may love feet. You may have a thing for feet. I think that's weird because I have never seen a beautiful foot in my entire life. Feet are the ugliest part of God's human creation. Like I see some of you like at the beach, like Instagramming photos of your feet, and I just want to vomit a little bit in my mouth. You like acid reflux because I don't want to see that. I don't care how beautiful a human being is. There's just something about feet I don't like. In fact, can I just kind of share you the depth of this? Like my, my, the most beautiful creature I have ever seen on this planet on the inside and out is my seven-year-old daughter named Jenna. She is the cutest, sweetest thing in the entire world. I got a picture of her. If we can put that up there, there she is. She is the sweetest thing. I'm convinced uh, God gave me her to make up for the two sons I was given. As parents, you're not supposed to have favorites. That's mine. <laughs> just kidding. I love all of my kids. But, you know, she, uh, she, she is just the sweetest thing. She's always trying to help other people and compassionate and running around meeting people's needs. You never have to ask her twice. She's not lazy in any way. She's always on a soccer field running around giving you. She may not be the greatest athlete the world has ever seen, but she is always going to give an effort. She is just an amazing, sweet, beautiful girl on the inside and out. But can I confess one thing to you? I love my daughter. Don't judge me. But occasionally at home, she will sneak, and she thinks this is funny. She will remove the shoes from her feet, and I will instantly notice something is wrong in the atmosphere. <laughs> and I'll start looking around, and it's just like, did somebody put roadkill in the microwave? I don't know what that smell is, but that is horrible. And I don't know what it is. It's like, you know, most humans have like ugliness coming out of them in every way, angry at the world. She's so sweet. I'm convinced all the ugliness comes right out of her feet. And I don't know if her feet are dirty or what it is, but I just, I think of that analogy and I think, I think it's because she is running around caring about other people so much and so compassionate and kind, right, that, that maybe her feet get a little dirty in the process. And I want to use that odd analogy for you this morning for your, your faith in this passage. See, I believe it says in verse 15 there, how beautiful are the feet that bring good news. What, let me tell you where this word, this phrase, good news, comes from. You may be familiar with the old English term gospel. That's just old English for good news. The Greek word in the New Testament for good news is actually evangelion. It's where we get the word evangelism for. Well, I don't know when evangelism in our culture became an ugly, horrible word, but Evangelion was a common term, term in the first century. And it was the term that when they were out on the front lines in battle and they had a great victory, like you've been fighting hard and you won and you want to celebrate the good news, you send a runner back with the Evangelion, with the good news, to those in the camp behind the front lines to share it with them so they all can celebrate the great victory, the Evangelion. And that runner, naturally, their feet were going to get a little dirty in the process. I want to tell you that beautiful feet that share good news are getting dirty in the process. The question I have for you is, how dirty are your feet this morning? How dirty are your feet? Let me give you an example. Like, if, if you're actually living out verse 15, 
your feet are going to get dirty because you're going to make time to prioritize other people who are hurting and broken and lost. It's why, uh, you know, radio theology and Ryan Allworth's down here in the front row. I didn't ask permission to do this, but he's down here close and he, he kind of insulted me earlier. So <laughs> he, uh, radio theology, they're on the number one secular station here in Indianapolis and they're talking about their faith there. That's why through pub theology, you know, Blackbird Mission with him and, and Darren and Lisa Graff here are going into the bars to tell people about Jesus. There was an event here on Friday night, a wrestling ring, a live wrestling show was put on right here in the room. And some of you have come to faith because of wrestling theology, and because this person loved wrestling and they wanted people to hear the good news of Jesus. He was willing to get his hands a little dirty and his feet a little dirty to share the good news with people. But do you know how Rich Abbott, who leads that ministry, came to Christ? Well, the... The people from Blackbird Mission went into pub theology into a bar and told Rich about the good news of Jesus. And he just saw that these people cared about him and loved him. And he ended up giving his life to Christ. And now he's doing the other thing. That's what the kingdom of God at hand looks like. But it takes you getting your feet a little dirty. And some of us are going to go to heaven when we die because we have salvation. We've received Jesus. But we're going to have the cleanest feet in the world that heaven has ever seen. Because the one thing you can't do when you get to heaven is get them dirty again. Is this the time we have to tell people about the good news of Jesus? See, I want to demonstrate how Jesus actually lived this out, and I want to use a Romans 10 there as a launching pad to look at how the way Jesus shared good news. So turn with me to John chapter 4 and the story of the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. And I'm going to read the first six verses of that passage, and then verse 7 will be up on the screen. But the first point I want to make about the way Jesus shared good news was he saw people. That might seem simple, but he actually saw people. Look what it says here. If you open up your Bible to John chapter 4, verse 1, it's in the New Testament. And it says, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea in the south and went back at once more to Galilee up north. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. If you have your Bible open, underline or circle, it was about noon. So Jesus has gone from Judea up north, and I'll have a map later on in the message so you can visualize it. He's going to home base back in Galilee, where they're from. And he has to pass through Samaria. That's not significant to you, but Samaria was the place where the godless people lived. They referred to them as dogs, literally, in the passage. Or, excuse me, in the New Testament. And he's traveling through that space, and he makes time to stop in Sakar. He goes outside the city, about a half a mile to a mile, to a place called Jacob's Well. You could still go visit that place today. It's thought that he did that because that's where the better water was from. But he's tired, he's exhausted, he's been traveling, and he stops in a place where you don't talk to these godless people, and you certainly don't talk to a Samaritan woman to boot. Look at verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus got up and walked away. That's what was supposed to happen. It says, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Jesus actually saw people around him. This might be the most significant point of this morning's message for someone in the room. See, he, he didn't just have the Samaritan godless woman that he just avoided and walked away and didn't want to talk to. He saw her there and addressed her. 
I think one of the most significant things you can do if you want to tell people the good news, to preach the good news the way that Jesus did, is to see people in your daily life. There are people that you are going to walk by on your way out of this building that no one is seeing that you have the opportunity to see. There are people in your workplace that no one's going to talk to this week, and you could be the one to do it. Uh, pick up, uh, hold up your phone for just a second. Hold that up. Yeah, there you go. I'm not going to do what Darren did a few weeks ago, so don't worry. Okay, now just look at that thing. Like, get, study it real close. Study it real close. Because that's what most of us do 24 hours a day. And we don't look up to see the people. You want to change the world this week? Put your phone down for five minutes and actually see someone. There's an artist online that has actually taken photos of people and removed the phones from them. Doesn't that say a lot about our culture? Look at this family sitting down for a family dinner together. If you just put the phone down for just a few minutes and actually saw someone around you, you might actually begin to build a relationship where you could tell them the good news of Jesus. It begins with seeing them first if you're taking notes. Number one, Jesus saw people. Number two, he knew people. He knew people. See, in this passage... He's going to begin to tell the Samaritan woman that he wasn't supposed to talk to about the living water, right? He's talking about the good news for her life. She thinks he's talking about a well, but he's talking about the good news eternally. And in verse 16, he demonstrates how well he knows her. He told her, go call your husband and come back. She replies, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man... Uh, you're now, you have now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Now, you remember in verse 6, I told you to underline her circle. What time of day was it? Noon. Why was she coming to draw water at noon? That was the hottest part of the day. People didn't go draw water at that time of day, which was why she was going at that time of day. She didn't want to be seen by anyone in their town or to be judged by anyone. And so she's going in the heat of the day, the most difficult time to go and draw water, walking a half mile to a mile outside of the city to carry the water jars and carry them back, all so that she wouldn't be addressed and be judged by other people. But Jesus sees her, and then he actually knows her. But here's the hard part. He doesn't judge her for that. He knew everything about it, right? He's God incarnate, like he understood what was going on here, and we may not have that ability, but as Christians, we are called to really get to know them and care for the issues going on in our life. But this is hard, isn't it? This is where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. Some of you, let me give you an example. You, you drove all the way here to Carmel. I don't know where you came from. Some of you came from really far, but you eventually probably had to take a roundabout when you got here. And I know everyone drives entirely sane on those roundabouts, but when someone drove on the roundabout and they cut you off on the way here, you naturally paused for just a second, didn't you? And just went, man, I just, that person must be having a really rough day. They would only have cut me off like that because something happened in this, their morning. Their morning's probably not going well. If I'm going to be the love of Jesus, I'm going to stop, pull off to the side of the road. I'm going to take a moment and pray for them. Did you do that? No, that's not what we do. Like the good Christians in the room... We think inappropriate thoughts of what we would say in our head, or maybe we mumble them under our breath, but we don't say them out loud and secretly judge them, right? The bad Christians in the room, you just yell what you're thinking. 
Wave some motions with your hands. Make sure they're aware of how upset you are of how their driving skills are subpar. Actually, knowing people means caring for them where they're at. Jesus understood that she had been with five other men and isn't with her husband, and she's come here in the the middle of the day in the heat, and he's actually going to tell her about living water rather than taking the time to address how horrible of a person that she is. Saul didn't become Paul because of the judgment of the religious zealots. He became Paul because when he encountered Jesus, truth was spoken into his life, and he had to repent and receive that. But he was not instantly judged for every issue in his life. He understood how real Jesus was. See, I believe that every single person in this room right now knows people in our life. And if you're a Christian, we are called to see them and to know them and to care for their issues going on in their life. Uh, You should have gotten a card that looks like this when you came in. It says oikos at the top of it. You're like, this is like Greek yogurt morning. No, that's not what's happening. Uh, If you didn't get one of these, this is really important. I want you to raise your hand, and the ushers are going to come by and make sure everybody gets one of these. Thanks, ushers, for helping us out there. I know Graham's got them in the back. And uh, we're going to take just a few moments here, and you can take this home with you. And I want you to write down 8 to 15 people in your sphere of influence. Like, why is that? Well, the oikos is the Greek word for household, or the 8 to 15 people in your sphere of influence in the New Testament. It it is the people in your life that God has supernaturally placed in relationship with you that you are their sole missionary to tell them the good news of Jesus. And it means seeing them and knowing them, and here in a moment it's going to be loving them well. And I just want to encourage you, That if you're here today and you're like, but Josh, I am not equipped. I am not a natural evangelist. I think it's only like 8 to 10% of people actually assess through uh, spiritual DNA and other things as evangelistic. Did I get that right? Am I close? Yeah, it's like 8 to 10%. Most of you probably aren't a natural evangelist. But everyone can take the time to pray for a friend, can't you? See, the reason I say we don't really care Because if this was the greatest project of our life, we would take the time to write down those people we care about and we would intentionally pray for them. We would make time for them. We would invest in them. And we wouldn't have to like have everything figured out. We could just share how God has changed our life. And when they have questions, we may not have answers, but we help them discover how to find answers. That's pretty much it. It's just just loving them well. The third and final point I want to share with you from the way that Jesus shared good news is that he loved people. He saw people, he knew people, and he loved people. Because he loves this woman and doesn't judge her, she will actually receive the good news. And you know what she does then? Just like Rich Abbott did when he encountered Christ. He went and shared it with other people. She goes and tells their whole town. Look at verse 39 to 42. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. Now, if you're a good Jewish person trying to get from Judea Judea to Galilee, i got a map for you just so you can understand this. You are trying to get through Samaria as quickly as possible. Go ahead and throw that map up there. See, he stops off coming up from Judea, going up to Galilee. He stops off in Sakar in Samaria where the godless people are. 
And when he pauses, he doesn't just make time to have a conversation with a Samaritan and a woman, but when she comes to faith and tells everybody in the village, he says, I'm going to hang out here for two days. I don't have anything better going on in my life. I just picture the disciples going, Jesus, we're going to get home. I'm going to put my feet up on the couch and rest a little bit. I don't want to stay in this godless pagan place anymore. But that's how Jesus lived. He made time. He made extra time for those who hadn't experienced the love of God yet. He loved people so much, he would open up his calendar for whatever it was that would minister them in their time of need. What would that look like for you today? As you pray over the next 24 hours about the people to write on that list, we've had people put this on the refrigerator or in their prayer closet at home and distinctively pray for each of the people on that list that they would come to know Jesus and that they get to actually be the hands and feet of loving that person right where they're at. And if you walked in here today and you feel like God could never make time for someone like you, because you got too much shame and guilt and brokenness and sin, and the things you did the last few weekends, and the things that you do when no one's around. You just think God couldn't love you. You don't understand the depth of God's love for you. He created you, he redeemed you, and he's going to pursue you and pursue you and pursue you until your very last breath. Jesus says he would leave the 99 sheep for the one lost sheep. He would put all of the ones that already knew him on hold for the one person who didn't. What would that look like for the Christians in the room to live that way? To live our lives in a way that they are the greatest project we've ever been given. The greatest task is to love them well right where they're at. I'm amazed at how many Christians go through their entire life and never get the joy of getting to help be the part of the process of leading one person to the saving grace of Jesus. How many of you have ever heard of Ananias in the New Testament? Ananias? How many of you have ever heard of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament? Right? Ananias didn't lead a lot of people to Christ like Paul did, but you know what he did? He led Paul to Christ. He led one person to Christ that changed the course of human history. Because when Paul encounters Jesus, he goes to Ananias' home, and that's where he'll fully surrender everything. And I just want to tell you today that you may not be equipped as an evangelist. You may not have all the tools on your tool belt yet. We're going to give you those next week. Don't miss it. It's going to be better. But I want to tell you, you can love people right where they're at. And when you do that, eventually the words will come out of your mouth of how God has transformed your life and you can't wait to share it with someone else. And I just want to close by reading those verses in Romans chapter 10 again. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You don't have to question it. You don't have to lay in bed at night going, am I ever going to get to go to heaven? What's going to happen to me when I die? But you can know without a shadow of a doubt that the good news of Jesus is for you today and whatever it is that you're facing. She was a Samaritan woman who wasn't living with one of her five husbands and Jesus comes alongside. He sees her. He knows her. He loves her. She comes to know him. She goes out on mission. She becomes a missionary within 24 hours. What do you think God could do with you? I believe he's calling us to be transformed 
For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess with your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew or Gentile. The same Lord is Lord over all and richly blesses all who call on him. It doesn't matter your ethnic background. It does not matter your socioeconomic status. It does not matter where you went to school or not. All that matters is whether you respond to the good news of Jesus or not. Because, verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For the person that is attending online right now from somewhere around the world, you clicked on a link, you don't even know why you're here, God gave his life through the personhood of Jesus so that you could be saved and receive eternal salvation. And you don't have to question it. You believe it, you receive it, you surrender your life to his lordship, he's not just your buddy, and then it means that you are saved when you confess it with your lips. You don't have to question it any longer. And you're going to have questions and doubts about what, how you live your faith out. That's natural as a Christian, but you can know you have eternal salvation. And then finally, for the Christians in the room, verse 14, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? and just proclaiming the good news of Jesus. I know you can do it. I know you can. And it'll be the greatest thing you've ever done with your life. But you're gonna have to get your feet dirty. You're gonna have to open up your calendar sometimes. You're gonna have to prioritize the person that hasn't received Christ yet. You're gonna have to set time aside to pray for those people, to invest your life into those people, to be the one to bring the good news. How beautiful will your feet be in heaven then? What would that look like for you today? As we close out our time, let's just respond, both as Christian and not. And if you forget everything else, I hope you hear this today. If you haven't experienced the love of Jesus Christ, he says he leaves the 99 for the one, for the one person in the room right now. He sees you, he knows you, and he loves you just where you are. All he asks is that you respond to confess him as Lord and believe it in your heart. Will you pray with me, God? First, for the Christians in the room. If we're going to live out Romans 10, 14, it's going to require us getting our feet a little dirty. And maybe, maybe you just have someone right now that you need to supernaturally impress on our mind that we need to write down on that card and begin to intentionally pray for them. To see them, to know them, to love them right where they're at. And to speak up about the good news, not out of condemnation, but out of love. Maybe God gives you someone right now and you just want to respond to that. God, we pray that we wouldn't just hear it, but we would actually respond with action and live this out. And then God, I, I got to imagine there's a number of people in this room right now who are attending live online that if they died tonight, they wouldn't know where they would spend eternity. And I believe with everything in my being that the scriptures are true, that if we confess you with our lips, we believe and receive you in our inner being, in our soul, in our heart, God. We surrender our life to you as Lord. We don't have to question it. We have eternal salvation. The good news is for us, but we have to respond. It's our choice. And so if you're in the room and you would like to receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, to surrender your life to his lordship, I want to give you the opportunity right now. We're going to do something different. I'm not going to have you raise your hand. I'm not going to have you uh, just stay quiet in this moment either. With every eye closed, we're going to actually practice. I don't think you have to do this, but just to, to not be ashamed of the good news for you, I'm going to have you actually do what the passage says and confess them out loud with your lips. 
So on the count of three, I'm going to begin to pray. And if you would like to surrender your life fully to the Lordship of Jesus, I want you to respond and pray this with me. One, Jesus sees you. Two, he knows you and all of your faults. And three, he loves you right where you are. Pray this with me. God, I admit I'm not perfect. Forgive me for my wrongdoing. I receive your forgiveness by your work on the cross. I claim your victory over death and the grave. And on this day, I surrender my life fully to your Lordship. Use me. We love you, God. We give you our lives. And those that truly meant that as we pray, may you help them turn them into missionaries just as you did the Samaritan woman. We love you, Jesus, and pray this in your name and all God's family said, amen.